0: We're glad you guys are here as well, and I really, 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 really do hope you have a happy Easter. I mean that. I hope you have a happy Easter. But as much as I want you to have a happy Easter, what I'm more concerned about is, are you happy this Easter? That's a different question. Are you happy this Easter? Because happiness is something we want, something we chase. In fact, in our country, we're spending more time, more energy, and more money than ever just to be happy. And yet, here's what we have learned the last several weeks, that we as a country are as unhappy as we've ever been in our history. We're an unhappy nation. We live in a culture that's addicted to happiness, yet we can't seem to get our hands around it. We live in a society willing to spend all kinds of money, time, and energy on happiness, and yet we can't seem to obtain it. We live in a make-me-laugh world that seems to have lost its ability to laugh. That's why we're talking about happiness. That's why we're having the conversation. It just makes sense to us to talk about happiness and how you and I can begin to unlock the secret to happiness. And we thought the best place for us to go to begin to unlock the secret to happiness is to lean into what Jesus said, which is interesting because Jesus was a pastor preacher kind of guy and the very first recorded sermon, very first recorded sermon Jesus ever preached is found in Matthew 5. And the very first part of that sermon is something that a lot of people, even people like, you might be like, I don't go to church that much, it doesn't matter. A lot of people have heard about this part of the sermon because it's called the Beatitudes. You've heard of it. And it's called the Beatitudes because, it's called the Beatitudes because for nine times in that first section of his sermon, he uses this word blessed. You might have heard it blessed, right? But it's this word blessed. And when you really lean into that word, what does that word mean? We don't use that word that much, and maybe we don't understand what he meant by it. Here's what the word blessed means. The word blessed means this, happy or blissful. Happy or blissful. It literally means this, a deep contentment or satisfaction or peace that is totally, totally independent of anything external. Stay with me. It's a deep satisfaction, a deep peace, a deep contentment that is it's totally independent of things outside of me. And so Jesus begins his sermon centered around this whole idea of happiness. And so all we've been doing is saying one by one, okay, what does he have to say? If he wants to talk about happiness, I want to hear what he has to say. And so here's what he has said so far. The very first week we looked at it, he said, happy or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He simply is saying this, happier people who are poor spiritual beggars. Because only when I realize my hands are empty can I then be filled by the king, so to speak. Only poor spiritual beggars will enter the kingdom. Only poor spiritual beggars will experience the kingdom. Which led him to say this. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the sad. That sounds weird, right? And we said this. That what that means is simply this. That my true happiness is in direct proportion to my godly sorrow over my sin. That my... True happiness is in direct proportion, not to me being sorry about my sin, but me being having a godly sorrow over my sin. And that led us to this last week. Last week we said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed, what does that mean? We simply said it this way, happy are the surrendered, okay? Simply put, happier are those who surrender control of their life, ready, to the God who's in control even when life feels out of control. Let me say it again. I know we got people coming back in. I want to see your eyes for a second, okay? Happier those who surrender control to the God who is in control, here's the kicker, even when life feels out of control. So many of you talked to me about that last week because life feels out of control, and that's when meekness begins to be developed. Let's take it a step further. What does Jesus have to say today? Look at the screen with me. Here's what he has to say today. Blessed are those, this is your Easter message. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they are the ones that will be filled. Look here a second. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, happy are the hungry. I know, man. I I don't know. Maybe you didn't get up real early. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, happy are the hungry. Anybody, does that sound weird to? I don't know about you, but I ain't happy when I'm hungry. Can I get one amen in the room? Yeah. I mean, happy and hungry don't go together, right? Anybody ever see a baby when they're hungry? That don't look happy right? Some of you, yeah, that's my kid this morning, right? Raise your hand if you ever heard the word hangry. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, where do we get the word hangry? Hangry is what happens when you put hungry together, and what happens? You become what? Angry, right? Some of you are like, I won't be hangry if you go overtime today, Dan, because I got a good Easter dinner waiting for me, right? Yeah, usually when we're hungry, we get angry, we get frustrated, not happy, Right? What in the world is Jesus saying? Well, we got to understand this. Listen, listen, look here a second. That there is a big difference, okay? I want you to go here with me. For the rest of what I want to say to make sense, you got to go here with me. There's a big difference between hunger in my world and hunger in the world, okay? Let me say it again. There's a big difference between hunger in my world. So if I think about hunger just the way I think about it, it's going to be different than the way most of the world thinks of hunger. You say, what are you talking about, Dan? Hunger in my world, which, by the way, is how you think of hunger, Hunger in your world is the same way. Here's how I think of hunger. I ate at breakfast time. It's getting about lunchtime. I'm getting what? Hungry. When I get hungry, then halfway between lunch and supper, what do I do? I go to a very full refrigerator, open the refrigerator and say, I can't find anything to eat, right? That's hungry in my world. Anybody with me? That's how we experience hunger. But hunger in the world, that's not the way they experience hunger. You know how hunger is in the world? If I don't eat, I'm going to die. If I don't eat and eat soon, I'm going to die. If I don't get something to drink and if I don't get it soon, I am going to literally die. When Jesus said, blessed or happy are the, those who hunger and thirst, he was using a word that would not have given a picture of hunger in my world. It would have been more a picture of hunger in the world. He's not talking about physical hunger. He's talking about a hunger in my soul. He's talking about a hunger in my heart, a hunger in my life. And these are the two words I want you to write somewhere on that blank sheet of paper. He's talking about desperation and craving. Write them down somewhere. He's talking about desperation and craving. He's saying happy are those who are hungry. And the picture that would have come to their mind is one of desperation, one of craving." What's Jesus doing? Here's what he's doing. He's putting his finger on something that all of us in this room know and have experienced at one time or another. Jesus is saying this, every last one of you in this room, me included, are hungry. We're all hungry. And we all know that. Some of us maybe acknowledge it more readily than others, but we're all hungry. Think about it. All of us in this room are hungry. We're hungry for fulfillment. We're hungry for purpose. We're thirsty for satisfaction. We're thirsty for meaning in our life. And for many of us, we go around our life and we just feel this emptiness and we can't figure out how to fill it. So we just live empty. And that's why, ready, ready, ready? That's why we're not happy. In fact, we have said this the last three weeks. Statistics say in our country, only one out of three of you are happy. That's what the surveys say. In a room this size, one out of three of us are happy. As a country... In 2007, we ranked third among the countries of the world on the happiness index. Literally one decade later, 2017, 10 years later, we went from being ranked third to ranked 19th on the happiness index. Something's happening individually and collectively to our happiness. Not only that, it seems to fade over time. You're saying, what do you mean? I told you I kind of like these kind of facts. I'm kind of a junkie for these kind of facts. Do you know how many times the average child smiles on an average day? Statistics say this, 400 times. That's a lot of smiling, by the way. 400 times. I believe it. Cuz there's some little kids that have hung out in these services and when I say certain things, they smile. I've had a lot of adults. <laughs> I'm not pointing fingers. Because the average adult, you know how many times they smile on an average day? Not 400 times. Not even 200 times. Not even 100 times. They smile on average 20 times a day. Something happens over time to our happiness. Why? Because somehow we've learned to connect happiness to something on the outside of us. And when bad things happen, it drains our happiness, it steals our smile. And so somehow we lose happiness. Jesus is saying this. This is all he's saying. He's saying, I know you alls hungry. It's evident. And the older you get, the more that hunger becomes very prevalent in your life. But he is saying, happy are those who are hungry and hunger, listen close, for righteousness. He's saying, are the hungry... But happy are those who hunger for righteousness. What Jesus wants to do this Easter is unlock the secret to your happiness. Here's what he's saying. Happy are those who are desperate for righteousness. Happy are those who crave for righteousness. So we got to answer this question. What in the world is righteousness? What is righteousness? Now, let me give you a little hint. Don't go to Webster's this afternoon. It's not going to help you. Because it's going to say this, the state of being righteous. Like, thanks for that, Right? So what is righteousness? I want you to write this down somewhere. Righteousness is simply this, to be declared right with God. That's righteousness, is to be declared right with God. Jesus is saying this, happy are those who are desperate to be declared right with God. That poses an interesting question. Most of us would agree that if there is a God, most of us would say there is a God You might be here in this room, now listen, and you might be saying, not me, I don't believe there is a God. Can I talk to you for like five seconds here? If that's you, you're like, I don't even think there is a God. I am so thrilled you're here. I'd love for you to come every week. You do not have to agree with everything I say to come here every week. I want you to know that. I just love the fact you're here. We're going to love you. I love the fact that that you can be here and think about and, and wonder and go through questions in your mind. But let's assume for today, if there is a God, most of us would say that we would be happier if we knew we were right with him, right? If there is a God, I think I'd be happy if I knew I was right with him. And, and, and there's some of us in the room, we know we ain't right with him, right? Like, like some of you are like, man, I know I ain't right with him because I know what I did last night. I know what I've been up to this last week. I know what I'm thinking right now, right? Right? So some of us are like, man, I'd be happier if I knew I was right with God, but I know I'm not. Some of us are like, I think I'm right with God, but I'm not sure, but I'm trying really, really hard to be right with God. See, wherever you're at on that spectrum, here's what I know. For most of us in this room, because I've been a pastor almost 25 years, that question becomes extremely important when you die. You know how I know that? Because I have had the opportunity to do tons of funerals, and at almost every funeral I do, the friends and family say this, I hope they made their peace with God. I hope they're all right with God. Somewhere along the way, it seems like that question is important. And Jesus says, "Happier are those who hunger to be right with God. Happier those who are desperate to be right with God. But look at what God says in Romans chapter 3. As the scriptures say, read it out loud with me, what's underlined? No one is righteous, not even one. God says, nobody is right with God. Like happy Easter, right? (laughs) Nobody is right with God. The Pope, Billy Graham, your grandma, who you are sure never sinned. Nobody is right with God. Like we are desperate. We are starving. Most of us know this. Most of us have experienced this. That's why we're hungry. That's why we want something out of life. Because we know we're not right with God. And yet here's what happens, because we know that hunger exists, we look for ways, stay with me on this, to stomp out the hunger pains in our life. You see, you can physically stomp out hunger, the pain of hunger, without doing anything that benefits your life. Did you ever know that? You, you can do that. In fact, let me tell you how I know that, because I was in Haiti right after the earthquake. You remember the earthquake happened in, in Haiti, and that it was awful. It was just awful. And I walked around and I saw children didn't have enough to eat, starving, and their mothers could, could barely could barely handle it, watching it, seeing the pain of hunger. And so they began doing something to stomp out the pain of hunger. You know what they did? They began making pies for their Haitian children, pies made out of mud. They would take the mud, ooh, somebody said up here, I agree, whoever you were, I agree with that. What were they doing? They were doing absolutely nothing that were going to help their children live, nothing that was going to give nutritional value. They just wanted to stomp out the pain of hunger in them, right? You see, isn't that what we do in life? Stay with me on this. We feel this emptiness, this hunger, and we look for things to stomp out the pain of our hunger, things that aren't necessarily healthy, nutritious for our spiritual life, our emotional life. So we think to ourselves, if I could just get a little bit of success that pain will go away. If I could just get a little more money, if I could just have a little more sex, if I could just maybe get a little more of that chemical, that drug, if I could get just a little more you fill in the blank, all of a sudden I'm going to stomp out the pain of this emptiness that I walk around with life feeling in my soul and in my heart. And yet the problem is, you already know this because some of you have experienced it, that when that's how I try to curb the hunger inside of me, eventually that hunger comes back, but it doesn't just come back it comes back with more intensity it comes back stronger so then when it comes back stronger it's not just I need success but I need more success and more success and more success it's not just that I need money but I need more money and more money and more money it's not just that I need sex but I need more sex more and more it's not just that I need a little bit of that drug to take the edge off but I need more more and more to all of a sudden begin to feel this curbing of the pain inside of me and what I end up doing in my life is I end up eating mud pies to try to curb the hunger inside of me. So some of us, because we think, well, I'm way past that, Dan. I'm, I'm refined. I kind of have a different way that I deal with it. I've turned to religion. I feel empty. And so I began going to church. I began becoming a really moral person because I felt this emptiness. And so that's why I started coming back to church, Dan. That's why I started all of a sudden trying to be a really, really good guy. And yet, God has something interesting to say. In the same chapter, verse 20, he says, Look at this. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. I need to let it sit up there and percolate for a little bit because some of you maybe grew up in church and you're like, Say what? No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law simply shows me how hungry I really am. What is he saying? Nobody in this room is right with God. Now listen, this is, and none of us can make ourselves right with God. Happy Easter, right? Doesn't sound like good news. We're starving, we're desperate, we're hungry. And so Jesus says, happy are those who hunger for being right with God. What do I do? Romans chapter one. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. You can't make yourself right with God. Do you know what God did? He made it possible. He makes you right in his sight. How does he do that? How does he do that? Romans chapter 4. I want you to see this. God will count us as righteous right in his sight if we believe in him. Believe what about him? Believe the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life. That's Easter to make us right with God. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Look here a second. Undeserved privilege. You know what that is? That's grace. Say it out loud with me. It's grace Grace. where we now stand, And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. He simply says this, the way for us to be declared or counted right in God's sight is to not simply believe there is a God. Listen, some of you are like, I believe there is a God. That's great. That's a good start. But to believe that God came, and when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for my sins, and that he rose again so that I could be made right with God. You're saying, Dan, that doesn't make sense to me. Then let me use a really crude, crude illustration that I want you to remember this Easter. The Bible says that all of us are unrighteous, What identifies us is that we are covered in unrighteousness. It's why we're hungry. It's why we're empty. It's why we can't seem to find fulfillment. All of us. Doesn't matter how long you maybe have been going to this church, ever since you were in the nursery. Maybe this is your first time in church. Doesn't matter. We're all unrighteous. We're all sinners. We're all covered in our... Un- That's why we're starving. That's why we're hungry. That's why there's something that, 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 that literally is called this God-shaped hole in our life. We can't figure it out. And so we're covered in this unrighteousness, this sin, that, this, that somehow in our mind we become full of ourselves. Here's what Easter story is all about. You see that cross over there? Many of us know the story of the cross. We don't understand its significance Because on that cross, you see the color of that garment? It's white. Why? Because the only one who ever was righteous, the only one who ever was completely pure, holy, righteous, Jesus was his name, died on that cross. Well, why in the world did the only one who never sinned, the only one who was righteous, why did he die on that cross? Because what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 3 was simply this, that he died... For all of us who are unrighteous. Amen. Now listen. Yeah. I love it. Now listen, listen. Some of you know that already. Some of you know that. You're like, I know Jesus died for my sins. But that's not far enough. You're like, it isn't? It's not. Because Jesus, knowing what he did and why he did it is part of the journey. But this morning, this Easter, Jesus invites you to make this personal. You're saying, how do I do that? The invitation is here that Jesus, the righteous one, died there. I'm covered in his unrighteousness. It's not enough for me just to know that fact. But the invitation this Easter is for you and I to come in all of our unrighteousness, covering all of who we are, to bring all of our unrighteousness to the cross. Because at the cross, when Jesus died, he died for my sin in my place. And he said, that's where your unrighteousness needs to hang. Jesus paid the penalty for all of your sin. But Dan, you don't know what I've done. He does. But Dan, if anybody ever found out, he already knows. But Dan, I've not been as good as my brother. He already knows. He died for everything unrighteous about all of us in this room. But that's not where the story ends. Too many times we just stop it there. It's like, that sounds like good news. Old rugged cross, I love it, good luck. That's not where it ends. But he said he was raised to life so that we could be right with God. You're saying, well, why does that matter? Because when he was raised to life, he's not a dead savior. We don't commemorate some dead leader. But when he was raised to life, literally, I now, because I have a risen Lord and savior, can be totally covered In his right standing before God. His righteousness. And that's what it means to be declared right before God. And that's his invitation to you this Easter. You see, when Jesus was saying this, what was he saying? Some of you aren't happy. The reason you're not happy is because you're not right with God. And what Jesus is saying this Easter is, Happy are the starving who are saved by God's grace. It's all God's grace. Being right with God is not what I do. It's what he has done. That's what God's grace is all about. It's not what I do. Some of you maybe grew up in church. and You're like, hey, they told me, man, I got to do this, this, and maybe God will be okay with me. Stop it. Just stop it. Because it's all about what he did. When he died, he died for my sin. The payment is complete. Think about it this way. At the cross, think about it this way. I'm starving, spiritually starving The one who called himself living bread was broken. Why? So that I could be filled. At the cross, the one who called himself living water, on the cross, do you remember what he cried out? I what? I thirst. Living water thirst? Living water was thirsting. Why? Because he was being poured out so that he could quench what was thirsty in all of us. That's the gospel. And so I am saved by his grace. What does that mean? I want you to get this. I'm saved from my sins. When I say yes to Jesus, that's what these little folks right here have done. That's what Anne, wherever she's at, that's what she has done. She said yes to Jesus. When I say yes to Jesus and what he did, I'm saved from my sins. The penalty's been cared for. I'm saved into a relationship with God, and I'm saved for a purpose you got to get that. I'm saved from my sin. It doesn't just stop there. I'm saved into a relationship with God, and I'm saved for a purpose. And what Jesus is saying is I'm going to be hungry, and the only way that that hunger is going to be satisfied in the first place is if I go to the only one who can save me. If I'm starving, i got to eat what it is that's going to save me. And Jesus is saying this, that's the only way for me to be saved. You tracking? That's the story of Easter. So for some of you in the room, this may be the most incredible Easter you've ever experienced. Because maybe this will be the Easter you say yes to Jesus. The truth is, there's others of you in the room that you're a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian. And in fact, you almost could guess what the preacher was going to say on Easter Sunday because this is your 52nd year in Easter Sunday and yada 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 and i can almost tell you what he's going to say and it's you that kept me awake all night i didn't sleep much last night had a lot of problem sleeping last night because i kept thinking about those who maybe have heard this story over and over and over again And it's almost become like Charlie Brown's teacher. Womp, 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 womp. Somewhere along the way, something's gotten lost. Something's gotten lost. You see, here's what I know. Jesus isn't just talking to people who need to be saved because they're starving. But think about somebody who's starving. What do they do? They eat to live, right? Somebody's starving eats to live. But think about this. This is really silly, but let's just think about it. But they don't eat to live and then stop eating. Do they? They don't eat to live and say, oh, whew, man, I'm finally, I got something on my belly. And then stop eating. What do they do? They eat to live and then they continue to eat in order to be satisfied and to sustain life. The only way they're going to grow is if they keep eating. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, happier those who eat, the only thing that's going to give them life, and then continue to eat. Let me show you. Back in Matthew 5. In the original language, you can forget this, but I've got to show you this. It was originally written in Greek. Here's how it would have been read. Blessed are those who are hungering and are thirsting. It is continuous for righteousness, for they will be filled. What's he saying? He's saying, happier those who continue to crave and be hungry for this thing called righteousness. It's interesting to me. When I think about that, some of you are like, I don't really get that. Well, let me explain it this way. Raise your hand if you're a parent. Raise your hand. I want to see all the parents in the room. Nice and high. Be proud on Easter. Okay. Dad's in the room. Put your hands down. Dad's in the room. How many of you felt like when your first kid came along, you were prepared to be a dad? Raise your hand if you felt like you were prepared. Yeah, I a mean, liars. I don't know. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm kidding. Man, I can tell you something. My oldest boy's name is Joel. And when he first came, I'm like, man, they did not write enough books for me to be ready for this, right? I mean, I I don't know about you, maybe I'm just a little different, but I was not ready to be a dad. Right from the get-go, I remember the day my wife went into labor, Joel's coming into the world. I remember the first thing I thought was, whose bright idea was it that the husbands go from the waiting room into the war room when this whole thing happens, is what I thought, right? I don't regret being there, but I'm like, "Woo, man, okay, this is a little different. But I remember the moment he entered the world. I remember it. I don't know how your experience was. But my kid entered the world, letting everybody know it, man. He's screaming bloody murder, right? Just like that, and the nurse is all calm. And I'm like, "What's wrong with him?" I remember they brought him over. To, he's still screaming. Like I'm like, "Does it stop? Is there a turn off button?" I was as stiff as a board. They put him in my hands. I'm like, "What do I do?" <laughs> and like, we gotta get him something to eat. He's fine, but he needs something to eat, right? If he's gonna live. I'm like, well, then let's do something about that, is what I said. I so said, we got that boy something to eat. And I remember he quieted down. I remember that moment, I thought, I got this parenting thing down, man. I'm good to go. Until about two or three hours later, <laughs> guess what happened? He's screaming bloody murder again. I remember I looked at nurse and said, What's wrong with him? She said, He's fine. He just wants to eat. I said, well, we already fed him. She said, well, that was two hours ago. 24 years later, three kids later, my kids are still wanting to eat. They keep showing up at my table. <laughs> you see, what in the world, what in the world is it that Jesus wants us to see? I want you to get this. happier those... Who are saved by the goodness of God's grace. They're saved from their sins into a relationship with God for a purpose. And happier those when they are saved by that goodness continue to crave growing in that goodness. That's what he's saying. You see the psalmist has something interesting that he says. He says taste and see that the Lord is. Say it out loud with me. Good. good. Maybe a way to write it is this. Happy are those who continue to crave being filled with God's goodness. I need this to make sense to you, and then we're going to close. I want to tell you a story. It's in the Old Testament part of your Bible, the first part of your Bible. It's about a guy named Moses. This guy named Moses one day says to God something interesting. It never really clicked for me like it did this week. He says, God, show me your glory. That's interesting. What was he asking God? Show me what you're really, really good at. Show me what you're known for. Show me what you're famous for. Like if, if we were put it in human terms, if, if I went to Tiger Woods and say, hey, show me you and all your glory, he's probably going to take me where? To a golf course. If I went to LeBron James and I said, hey, show me you and all your glory, he's going to probably take me where? Basketball court. If I went to Tom Brady and said, show me you and all your glory, he's probably going to take me where? Cleveland Browns Stadium, probably. I don't know, but, but he's going to take me to a football field, Right. Because that's what they're known for, famous for, good at. And so Moses says, show me what you're good at. Show me what you're famous for. I want to see it in all of its array. God said, okay, we've got to get you set up for this. But he said, I'm going to show all of my glory to you. And this is the way he describes it. I'm going to allow, stay with me. If you know this story, you can look in the book of Exodus. It's in there. He said, I'm going to allow my goodness to pass in front of you. You want to know what God's good at? He's good at being good to people who don't deserve it. You want to know what God's good at? He's good at showing mercy to people who don't deserve it. He's good at loving people who aren't expecting it. He's good at being kind to people who maybe aren't kind to others. He's good at being faithful even when we're unfaithful. You know what God's good at? He's good at being good. He's the definition of good. And here's what he's saying this morning. He's saying in that soul of yours, that bottomless pit soul of yours, He's saying, I got enough goodness to fill you up for infinity. (laughs) Into eternity. He said, I'm known for being good. Which is why, which is why in Peter's letter, he said this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good see, it makes me think something this morning. Jesus is saying this, happy are those who are hungry and they are saved by God's grace. And since they've tasted the goodness of his grace, they crave more of that goodness and they're satisfied. And the minute they're satisfied, they crave more and they're more satisfied. And the the minute they're more satisfied, they crave more and they're more satisfied. He said, those are the people that are happy. That they crave and are filled. And because they're filled, they crave. Here's the deal. Some of you would say you're a Christ follower. I really need you to dial in now. You're like, I thought Easter. No, dial in. Hunger is not a bad thing. Hunger tells me I need to like do something about that. There's something. When I lose my appetite, what happens? I'm sick. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. When I've lost my appetite for God, something's wrong. You ever seen somebody that you feed, and you feed, and they can't get filled up? You ever see somebody like that? At our house, we call those boys. That's what we call them. <laughs> I got two boys. My youngest, some of you know, know him, some of you don't. His name's Aaron, and he's off college now. But, but when he was in high school, he's a big big kid. With a big kid comes big appetite. And I... He was just home last week, and uh, so he's about 6'3", and when he was in high school, about 300 pounds. He's a big kid. I'm saying big, not big, but big, okay? And so he was home last week, and uh, I kind of forgot how it was with him being in the house. Because I'd go to the refrigerator and say to my wife, hey, I want to get some leftovers. Ain't none. (laughs) Shut the door. You sit at the table, and you're like, hey, you going to eat that? I'm like, well, I was, but go ahead, you know? But when he was in high school, he always did something. It was interesting. We made fun of him, just kind of having fun with him, but... We'd sit at lunch, and we'd have lunch together, and man, he'd clean up whatever's left over. and like, there's nothing to pack away. And then when he's done, he's full, and guess what? He would always look at his mom, and he'd say, hey, what's for supper? I'd look at her and say, Lord, have mercy. What are we going to do? I'm going to have to get another job, right? Like, he'd eat, and he loved his mom's cooking, and the more he was satisfied, ready? The more he was satisfied, the more he craved, and the more he craved, the more he wanted to be satisfied, You know, he loves coming home and he puts in his order. Why? He wants some of his mom's cooking. That's all Jesus is saying. He's saying, the more I crave Jesus, the more I'm satisfied. The more I'm satisfied, the more I crave. Some of you, you're empty. And you would say, I'm a Christian. And I'm not happy. Some of you would say, I'm a Christian and I am happy. And you forgot to tell your face. Because only 20 times a day does a smile crack its way onto your face. See what I'm saying? And so it begs the question well, then how in the world do I fill my life with God's goodness? Well, I want to show you a verse, but I'm going to invite the band to take their places. We're going to end with a couple songs. But you've got to get this. Like, like, I prayed all night that you would get this. Because some of you think what it means to fill your life up with righteousness is about you doing good. I've got to go do good. And that's really not the secret to craving God's goodness. Secrets found in the book of Philippians. As for righteousness, this guy says, his name's Paul. I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but I consider them all worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. This guy was better than you and I put together. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Look here a second, and then I'm done. We don't gather in this space every Sunday to commemorate a dead leader. We don't, but we have a living Lord. And if we have a living Lord, then it only stands to reason that I want to spend the rest of my life craving that relationship with Him. You see, when I read that, it's about knowing Christ. It means less of me, more of Him. Less of me, more of Him. Less of me, more of Him. Him. Less of me, more of him. I want to drink in everything he has to say. I want to spend whatever time I can with him so that I might understand his heartbeat. I want to be about the things that he's about. Here's my question this Easter. Are you happy? I'm not talking about the kind of happiness. This is temporary because right now I've tasted a little bit of success. I've got a little bit of money. I kind of took the edge off. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, are you truly happy? Some of you have never said yes to Jesus in this room. Why not this Easter? Why not this Easter? Just like these people this morning say, yes, I want to make the great exchange. I'm wrapped in my own sin. I feel the starvation of my own unrighteousness. And this morning, I want to lay my sin on the cross, and I want to wrap myself in His righteousness. It's grace. Some of you are here, and you'd say, I'm a Christian. You're not happy. You've lost your appetite. You've lost your appetite. Can I tell you something? Don't waste this moment. If you've lost your appetite something's wrong, something's wrong, I don't know, maybe there's no appetite because you're full of you, well you can't be full of him if you're full of you, maybe you've lost your appetite because somewhere along the way you began eating junk food, and resorted back to mud pies, or maybe you lost your appetite because there was never any life there in the first place, I can't think of a better time than this Easter for you and I to begin to look inside ourselves and say oh God I want to unlock the secret to happiness thirsting for righteousness I want to be declared right before God and I want to crave knowing Jesus so God I pray that you would help us to unlock your heart on this with every head bowed whether you close your eyes or not that's between you I don't care just get in a space where you can get in your own thoughts if you came into this space this morning and you're like man I didn't know that's the way this thing rolled I didn't know that that's how I got right with God I was trying my best I was looking in every way I could to make myself okay before God why not this morning say yes to Jesus you can do that right there in your seat Saying, yes, Jesus, I believe you died in my place on that cross. And I believe that I cannot make myself right with you, but that God, you sent Jesus for me. This morning, I want to hang my sin on that cross. And I am so humbled and grateful that I get to wrap myself in the righteousness of Christ. This morning, I want to say yes to Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. With your heads bowed, if, if that's a conversation you had with God this morning, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for you to email, fill out a connection card, let me know somehow, slug me in the arm after the service, however, you can let me know that. For those of you who would call yourselves followers of Christ, can I ask you this? Have you lost your appetite? Do you treat Jesus like a dead leader that simply you show up once in a while and commemorate, and say that's cool? Or is He a living Lord that finds His way into every pocket of your life, craving more and more of the goodness of His grace, more of Him, less of me? I'm saying, "Dan, right now, I don't have that appetite." way to get that appetite is to begin eating to begin eating because the more i'm filled with the goodness of his grace the more i crave and the more i crave the more i'm filled and the more i'm filled the more i crave are you fully you god i i pray for my friends in this room i pray god that you would help us this morning to unlock what jesus is saying here so that we might experience the happiness of hungering and thirsting for righteousness.